Hello there, and thanks so much for supporting the Music Career Show. My aim with this podcast is to help as many people as I can turn their passion for music into a career that can support them and their family by speaking to people who have actually done it and finding out how they've done it. With this in mind, I have developed my music career roadmap. This is a fully comprehensive and detailed step-by-step guide of how you can go from dreaming about your ideal career to actually implementing and living that dream. It is yours to download for free and can be found in the description of this episode. If you would like any support at any stage of your music career, you can reach out to me via email at barry at oneladmusic.com. I wish you all the best of luck and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Music Career Show. Welcome to the Music Career Show, telling you the stories of the world's best professional musicians. Hello there and welcome to the Music Career Show. My name is Barry and every week I'll be speaking with incredible musicians from all over the world about how they've honed their craft and made a career out of doing what they love the most. If you're a new listener, then while you still have your device in your hand, please take a second to subscribe and tell your friends all about the Music Career Show. Okay, everybody. Hello there and welcome back to the Music Career Show. Today's guest is an old friend of mine from back in the day. We were first introduced through a mutual friend in college when I had an assignment to record a band in college and I was immediately struck by his huge range of vocabulary as well as his just downright uh, soundness. I'm sure we'll come across very, very well uh, today. Since then, he's gone on to create a magnificent career as a solo artist and has charted in Norway. Australia, USA, Canada, and Japan, amongst other places all around the world. And Ireland as well, of course. Please welcome Colin Gavin. Colin, hello there. It's great to be talking to you again, Barty. How are things? Ah, sure, look at things are smashing now, lad. It's great to be talking to you again as well. Um, It's been far, far too long. We were just saying there before we caught up that I think the last time we actually saw each other was uh, Christmas 2014 going into New Year's uh, 2015. I'll never forget it, yeah. I, mean, that, I think that was my first ever visit to Leo's in Donegal. And first ever, was it? It was one of, first ever, yeah. I remember my family were staying over in Ardraw and Dad dropped me over to Crawley. And I met yeah. yourself and Ashling in, in Leo's setting up for the evening. And I had no idea what to expect because it, it, you know how those New Year's parties can go. They're kind of a freewheeling affair. And yeah. it's funny that that was... I was only thinking of this the other day since um, since Noel Duggan has passed away. That was the first oh, time I met him up, up at the bar. He was he was getting ready to go on stage. And I had one of those brain fart moments where I didn't quite register who he was. And we were chatting over a point and I said, do you play yourself? <laughs> you know? so, yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah, no, poor old Noel. Yeah, that was only during the week. Saturday week, was it? Saturday, I think, yeah. yeah. Saturday, Saturday, yeah, fair enough, yeah. Um, let's go back to uh, to the very, very start then, lad. And so where did music start for you? Or I'll tell you what, let's, why don't you introduce yourself to people that may not have heard of you before and we can go back to where it all started then after that. So I'm Colm Gavin. I suppose I, I, I don't particularly like to pigeonhole what I do, but a lot of it, would be very similar to kind of the piano ballad singers of the 1970s. So people like Randy Edelman, um, Randy Newman, Dean Friedman, Andrew Gold, uh, and, and then others again, like Jim Croce and that type of American Canadian singer songwriter of the seventies is probably the closest thing to the 
music that I make. But I started out in the Clondalkin School of Music when I was about 11 or 12. And what was interesting was we didn't, I'm sure you were probably the same, Barry, there wasn't much of a musical scheme in school. So everything you did musically was extracurricular. Today, even in primary schools, there's funding and there's a system where they can rent guitars or they can rent barons, particularly traditional Irish instruments. But Mm. there's so much more facilities and there's so much more scope for kids who are interested in music. And there wasn't when me and you would have been in school. So if you want to do music, it's always going to be extracurricular, you know? That's right. I do remember in first year secondary school, uh, I had to stay behind on a Thursday evening to do basically music as a subject. And I done that was how did I do no, it was it was it wasn't until second year that I was actually able to take music as uh no, actually, I have a feeling I have a feeling that I didn't actually do music as a subject in during the school timetable until I was doing leaving cert. Uh, for anyone listening outside of Ireland, the Leaving Cert is, I don't know, it's it's the equivalent of the, the UK A-levels, I think. Um, America, sorry. <laughs> uh, the f- final, final, um, final exams you do in, 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 in high school, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. But I don't think I did music as a subject during uh, school until, so when I was going into fifth year in school, I think I had to stay behind on a Thursday I definitely did for at least two years anyway, if not for, 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 for three years. And I'd done it as an exam subject. So like exactly what you're saying, there wasn't as much. Nowadays, there is. There's a huge, from, from what I see, there's, there's, there's like a, a, a Facebook group for the Eden Dairy um, Music uh, music uh, Society, I suppose. They call it. I can't remember what they call it. But yeah, an awful yeah. lot more facilities um, than when we were growing up, yeah. For sure. And I, I attended the Clondalkin School of Music, which in it was kind of a blessing in disguise because at, at first I loved the idea of playing music and I'd done a little bit of it in primary school. I played acoustic guitar. Fiona Morley was my teacher and she was fantastic. She would teach us like Everly Brothers songs and Beatles songs, any, anything three or four chord, simple stuff. And then when I went to the mm-hmm. Clondalkin School of Music, it was a bit daunting at first because the collective wisdom amongst my peer group was that if you go to the School of Music, you're going to end up reading music. It's going to be horrible. You're not going to get to play any of the music that you like. And that wasn't the case at all. I had an enchanting teacher in Peter Stanton and he had an approach to music that today I I owe a massive debt of gratitude to him because what he did was he opened up my internal understanding of how music works. So it wasn't just here's a chord sheet, there's G, D, there's an F chord, there's a D. This is this is how music works on an integral level. So pitch, Mm. parallel modulation, modal interchange, why? Why would you key change? When you listen to this piece by Bartok, pick out the melody. Here's 13 seconds of a phrase. Now go over to the piano and pick that out. And what is that sequence? And what is, you know, the number and all that kind of stuff. So making you think about music in a different way other than chord shape. You know, like the episode of Friends where Phoebe's learning guitar and it's like, old lady. (laughs) Oh, that kind of thing. Yeah, turkey claw. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so when when you said that you're, um, you're, you're, your first lessons was that like what was it structured or was it more like kind of student-led or did you do any grades or anything along those lines oh i did i I did all of my grades in fact upwards to i got my teacher's associate and licentiate degrees and then ultimately did a fellowship we in the clonarkin school of music the gradings that we didn't use royal irish academy we went through the royal victoria college of music in london so an examiner Mm -hmm. used to come over 
and you would expect kind of a stuffy older character but he was a gentleman Colin Tribe I still keep in touch with him to this day he was he was like an ad for Werther's Originals you know the grandfather who <laughs> he'd kind of come in and he'd be playing a little bit of Brahms on the piano I said would you care for a Werther's Original <laughs> <laughs> He was he was great. I love that it. That, that 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 that's painting a right picture. So it is, and I, I I can picture him. I can picture him perfectly. Um, and so what was your what was your first instrument then? Was it guitar? Was it piano? Or what was it? To begin with, it was guitar. Although the way Peter Stanton used to construct his lessons was, no matter what instrument you did, everything was centered around piano. So if he needed to make a harmonic point, I know this sounds very highfalutin, but it was just the way he taught it, or to yeah. explain bass movement, he would do everything through the piano. So. If you're learning a piece in B minor and he would he would explain, well, B minor being the relative minor of D, you've got two sharp, C sharp, F sharp. And, and that was all done through the piano. So my yeah. first instrument was guitar, but my innate understanding of music all came from the, as I call it, the keys position. So understanding okay. how how key centers work, but through the piano. And so I and later I went on to do formal lessons with Peter and stuff like that. But but from the very beginning, the piano was an integral part of how I learned how music works. Yeah, I that, that that's interesting. You should say that my my music teacher in school is the same, Miss Brady. She's Mrs. McIntyre now, I think. So she's listening. Hello there, Miss. Um, but uh, I remember one day we were we were practicing for um, or we were rehearsing for Miss Miss Brady was brilliant for. Um, putting on uh, like musicals and stuff like that like uh, in fairness to her she turned the whole place the whole school around with the, the shows like the shows were on a huge scale and they're uh, like massive stages more gear than you too just great stuff all together but I remember we were rehearsing and some of the teachers uh, were uh, still are in, a, in like a wedding band and they're professional musicians actually um, do you know the the singer Liam Lawton the priest oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. his brothers taught me so they're all in a band they were all at, wow. at, in, he's, he's from Eden Derry. He actually done, Liam Lawton done my granny's funeral during the year. So there you go. He's from Eden Derry. Oh, wow. So um, things like that. So, so anyway, where I was going with this was that I remember Mr. Lawton asking Miss Brady, can you give me an E there so that he could tune his guitar off the E? And I was like, sure. what? How? How is he doing that? I was like, that's a piano. And then it, it just dawned on me. I was like, oh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, that E is the same as this E. And I was like, and I suppose then, if you wanted to get an A, you'd just find the same A on the piano, and 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 that's just just when you're saying that your your integral mu understanding of of how music kind of flows and the language of music more than that else is from piano. I got had a very very similar thing, and it was such a light bulb moment um, that didn't really properly resonate with me until oh, ten years later. Um, in that, and I can now I can't play piano, but now the way that I teach, I often go back to the piano to show people because it's such a linear. Um, like kind of format and it's much easier to, to, to show people but um, yeah so what age were you then when you started um, learning guitar so I started towards the end of primary school so I would have been maybe 10, 11 and when I was leaving primary I remember having the conversation with my mom where she said because Peter would have been well Peter Santa would have been well known in Clendalkin Village as the guy you went to if you really wanted formal music lessons so she said yeah. you're leaving primary school now if you want to continue this you can't go to primary school lessons anymore, so you're going to have to go to Peter. And ju just one of the things that we were talking about there, and you, you kind of touched on it when you mentioned your your teacher asking for an E to, to tune up his guitar. A friend of mine used to say, she was originally from Sao Paulo, she'd say, I have to, when you tell me something, I have to think in Portuguese first and translate in my head and then reply. 
And I think the same yeah. way when so so if someone if I'm playing in a session with somebody and they say, Oh, this is in E major, or they'll say it's you know, it's this, this, and this, or if they'll say it's a one six five movement, my mind yeah. instantly goes piano and then yeah. translates it through whether I'm playing the bass or I'm playing guitar or whatever. So it you're I think that owes itself a lot to the way you were first taught because you never lose that. And it, it is, it's like a language in, in, in its own way, you know? Yeah. And you're dead right. Like I said, that didn't properly resonate with me until like it stuck with me, obviously enough, it didn't properly resonate with me until about three, four years ago when I started teaching music myself. Um, and I had like an understanding of like music theory, but then once you realize that it's all just like, when we were saying there about like oh reading like card sheets and notation and stuff like that once you realize that it's just music it's all the one thing and you can access it no matter whether you're playing a harmonica or you're playing a didgeridoo whatever it's all do you know what i mean as long as there's a pitch to it it's all it's it's the same pitch no matter what it's just about how you how you get it out so yeah so that yeah. that's um really really interesting stuff um so then you finished up in primary school you went on to secondary school and did when, when did songwriting come into the mix because i know you're a, you're, a, you're an amazing songwriter when did that come in this all feels very much this is your life you know i'm waiting for it, it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> here he is you know um i started so Songwriting for me, Barry, like I, I became obsessed with people like Cat Stevens and Jim Croce and some of the great songwriters of the late 60s and 70s. And I didn't know that, I, I suppose, you think of your mind when you first come to music and, and your understanding of things. I, I probably thought that those chords belonged to those people. I didn't think you could actually sit down and compose using the chords that you knew. And, and like anybody, your first couple of songs are... <laughs> aren't worth talking about but yeah. i just i i had the graph for it really early on and a great teacher who would kind of i would say what what is it that constitutes a great piece of music or or to simplify it like when i listen to tea for the tiller man why does wild world sound as good as it does and what what are the qualities and what i learned very quickly was that the same qualities that make a 1940s piece of jazz sound great are the same or something written in 1973 or something written in 1994. And the basics and the fundamentals really come from things like the Great American Songbook. So jazz is built upon 2-5-1 movements. For those who are guitar players, think of it like a D minor, G to a C, all this yeah. and, and how that works, circles of fourths and fifths and stuff. So I was fortunate to have a teacher who could teach me the fundamentals and the building blocks of how songwriting works. And that's not to say that just because you use those, that that's going to make for a great piece of music. It doesn't. But it means when you hear other great pieces of music, you say, oh, so Paul McCartney, well, the reason why Hey Jude works with the key change is he's moving in a circle of fourths. And that's why an E flat makes sense against an F. That kind of thing. So it made the yeah. approach to songwriting so much easier. And to be honest with you, those fundamentals have never changed. When I, when I sit down to write something, I start with the idea in my head. I don't sit and start playing chords. I don't come with a musical idea i have a concept so if i'm writing about a character or an individual i think well how would he walk you know if i can see who he is in my mind i know what he looks like i need to put yeah. a score under him and then i just fill in the blanks and is that a lot an awful lot of your songwriting is 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 these characters or is it everyday encounters or is it situations or does it kind of vary it's a multitude of stuff. Like very recently, I have I, uh, one of my newer songs is called Mr. Magenta. And Mr. Magenta, 
there was a time in my life, Barry, where I couldn't make money from music, but I still had things to pay off. And I, as a busker, you were always warned, you know, about these hypocritical office types who have all these health benefits and don't appreciate it. And money just lands in their account at the end of the week and they don't have to break their backs for it. And it was sort of, again, like I said, it was just one of those things where you're out in the street, you're working hard for your money and you see these people who have office jobs with a big fancy car and don't need to worry about where the next penny is coming from. Or maybe they do, but this was the kind of, this was the ascribed knowledge at the time. And while I was, uh, I I had a job for a period in time working as a porter in an office block. And um, you, there were, you would see these, there's an office lingo, you know, people talking like little sharp bullet points and stuff like that. And it was a world I had never got to observe before until then and and thankfully it was only for a very very brief time because i yeah. used to just come home in tears every day say, i just want to play music that's all i want to do and you know um yeah. but the, that character mr magenta was kind of like a, an amalgamation of, of different um like the typical acme cigar smoke and they don't really exist anymore but like that yeah that business t- you know what i mean like almost like a cartoon character and it was a song yeah. that was initially written for for a separate project but um Again, that started with like he needed a kind of a bomb, bomb, bomb type walk, and that was what influenced the 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 musical side of it, you know. So that that's just kind of how my mind works. And it's not uh, just to answer your question; it's not always songs about characters and individuals. Sometimes it's just little snippets of things. But um, I don't have many songs in the kind of "I love you, you love me" format. If that makes sense. Yeah, fair enough. It's a listening to you is very much like. listening to uh, Shane McGowan talking about fairy tale in New York where he's on about uh, like pe- people have been he's been getting hassled over the past few years with all this like kind of woke culture and there's nothing wrong with the woke culture that it does have its place but people going on about the use of the you know the word I'm going to be on about and he's like I'm not calling anybody that word that's what the characters in the song that's the language that they use They're, you're not glorifying the use of the word at all um not to uh, relate you back to not to relate you to that to that to that side of things, but it just sounds sounds like the same sort of style. Uh, I'm trying to compare you to Shane McGowan, basically, is what I'm, <laughs> I'm doing. I'm probably going about it in a very bad way. No, I know exactly what you're saying, and and again, that's the thing with poetic licenses. You do need to be very careful because while artistry has to be left to its own to some extent, you, you do have to be careful as well because you can run wild with that idea of well, I'm just, I'm speaking, I'm saying what a character would say. And that's fine. And, and I understand that. But then again, oftentimes poetic license, if it's, if it's not, if it doesn't serve the song, then yeah. there's no need to do it. You don't need to go there. Like when I wrote that song, Mr. Magenta, and that's just one example, there's no bad language in it. There's no, I don't think there is. Um, and it's not insulting to one person. This is a characterized, this individual doesn't exist. This is someone's, interpretation of what that obnoxious cigar smoking um you know uh, trousers pulled up to the nipples type yeah. it's a character you know what i mean it, it's not about yeah, there's nobody absolutely. with that name that kind of thing and every and you can relate to it it's like when you see looney tunes you know you don't think that there actually are characters like that you know cats and mice chasing after each other it's but it but it's relatable on, on, yeah, on the surface yeah. level you know what i mean 
Of course, yeah, no, there has to be a certain amount of responsibility that comes with poetic license and all that kind of jazz. Grant, so all those characters that you're writing about and all those stories that you're writing about and, and all that jazz, you're writing with Charlie McGettigan at the moment, is that right? That's right, yeah, yeah. So for any for for well, I obviously know who Charlie McGettigan is, but and I think an awful lot of people our age would know who Charlie McGettigan is, but they might not know his name. Who is Charlie McGettigan? Well, the most straightforward way of explaining it was in 1994, Charlie and Paul Harrington won the Eurovision with a song called Rock and Roll Kids, which was written by Brendan, Brendan Graham. And my connection to Charlie, I brought out my first full-length album, A Voice for the Urban Darlings, in 2015. And Charlie has a brilliant show on Saturday mornings on Shannon side. And Charlie was one of the first ones to pick up on it in Ireland. I, I don't have, Barry, I don't have PR ears at all. So I need someone to sit down with me and say, if you're going to release this, you, you don't just put out an album. You need singles. You need to direct people towards certain songs. I don't have that. So I, I had sent out the album far and wide. And Charlie was one of the first ones to pick up on it. And he played a couple of songs from it every few weeks. And that was lovely. And that was a huge kudos for me yeah. and, 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 and for the songs. And when the pandemic came around, we were kind of in touch on Facebook. But I, I would never have thought he'd even know my name. And he sent me a message and he said, if you'd like to do some co-writing, that'd be cool. So what we would do, he would email me a verse and a chorus of a song yeah. on Tuesday. And by Wednesday, I'd have to bounce back a finished version of that. So I'd add another verse and another chorus and a middle eight, whatever. And he was like, oh, that's good. That's nice. Here's another idea. And and that went on and on for about for about a year. And and it, all in all, I think we wrote about 75 songs together. Now, that's not to say 75 Jeez. of them are good. There's probably about eight ones that would pass for a record. But yeah. it was just to get into the to the interplay of... Because he, 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 I would bring an idea and I think, I really like this. What do you think? And he'd say, no, if there's... It's, you're tripping over your words when you get to this point. And I wouldn't always agree with them, but when it was appropriate or for what we were doing, what he was saying was always the right idea. I might not think it, but then he'd say, no, you know, you're taking too long to get to the chorus because this just sounds like you're, you're wandering. Or maybe, maybe if you key change sooner or don't use that verse or that, you know, that kind of stuff. So like yeah. learning from him has, has been a masterclass in, in musical information, but we're actually bringing out a Christmas single this year. And I've never, I've never done that before. It's a song called right. dreaming again. So that'll be okay. out hopefully for a second week of December. It'll be getting airplay just a little bit before that. So yeah, yeah, it should be, should be amazing fun. stuff. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Um, <laughs> for, for, for what it's worth, rock and roll kids is one of my all time favorite songs. I think it should be our national anthem. <laughs> Either really? that or Darren yeah. doom. One or the other. Uh, I, 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 just, <laughs> I just think it's it's oh it's just oh it, it, it gives you chills listening to it uh, and there's, there's not an awful lot of songs that actually uh, do that for me so Rock and Roll Kids if anyone listening hasn't heard it Rock and Roll Kids by Charlie McGettigan and Paul Harrington uh, as I said the 1994 uh, winner of the Eurovision I was what age were you lad I was two me too I was two as well you were two you were all, yeah. well, well, oh, we are exactly the same age, yeah, of course. Duh, I knew that. That was stupid. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Charlie started playing your stuff on Shannon's side uh, and he started sort of coaching you in the idea of singles and stuff. When did all the American radio stations start picking up on this? Because I know you, you, you do have quite a following over there. 
So again, Barry, when I brought out my first full-length record, A Voice for the Urban Darlings, there were a lot of college radio stations who would tag me in these posts on Facebook. Because today, a lot of people, if you're not looking at your IMRO statements, you only know that certain stations are playing you when they tag you on their Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And so I would get these unusual stations like KPXY in Detroit or WBNY in Buffalo, New York. And I was wondering, how are these people getting a hold of it? And what I learned later was there's a network of college radio stations in America that once you get playlisted on one, they Uh. use the same chart of music. So basically what they do is it's like having a database and that gets sent on and sent on and sent on. So Notre Dame in Indianapolis will have a database that gets sent on to Wisconsin, that gets sent on to Utah. And so it's the same playlist, but you, I would get these messages from station directors and say, we get a lot of requests for such as, would you mind sending like four signed copies? We're going to have a competition and this is going to go, you know. So in the last few years, I've actually got to do a lot of touring in the States and I've met people. I met one particular lady who drove from Baltimore to Boston to be at a show who had very little English, but who had entered into one of those competitions back in 2015 or 2016 and didn't win did. so yeah so it's lovely but it's um yeah it's, it's 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 mad and that was at a time where there weren't even that many irish radio stations playing my music so that was totally flattering amazing so for anyone listening uh that's that's kind of thinking and and, and, and admiring what what you've done how how do you go about doing that is it just a matter of getting on to what, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the, the letters, but the XYZ radio in Baltimore or in oh, yeah. Buffalo or wherever and say, hello there, my name is, I don't know, Barry Carroll and I've just mm-hmm. written an amazing single and I think you'd really like it. Or is it, is it more, is it less organic than that? Or what, what's, how, how, does, how do you go about doing it? With, in my experience, so I signed with Bio Records. I know you're very familiar with Moya and Tim. Very familiar. And, and, <laughs> very much so. And our... Very much our adopted parents to some extent, both of us. Absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. Tim, so in the beginning, like I was very honest with him and I said, I don't have a PR mind at all. So I have no idea what to do from here. So he would give me a list of contacts and say, well, these are stations that have played Moyes music. So maybe it's worth making the introduction that you're connected with the label and blah, blah, blah. So I had, I think I had a thousand copies of my first record made and he would say, a lot of these you're not going to sell. You're just going to send them to different radio stations. So he would give me names of, and he says, I'm going to give you the email or the, the name of the station. You can find the contact information and send it out. And you know yourself, if you send 100, maybe you'll hear back from 15 or 20 or 25 or whatever. And so yeah, yeah. by consequence of that, sometimes these things would sit in a, in a pile of records until at that particular station, a program director would change or there would be a new show that played that kind of music. And then you know, over over time, that music w- would get played. Now, you can also go the route of just finding a radio station, looking for a program that plays music similar to what you play, and then sending them an email and say, look, can I send you? And they might say, look, I only do physical copy. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you have a CD that you can send it to them, and if not, just kind of make life as easy as possible for them. So if you send a downloadable link, that they need to clear up memory on their hard drive to download. They're just not going to. So so you when when sending it to somebody, I suppose the best advice that I could give is send it as if you were sending it to your grandparents. How how right. easy would you have to make it that your grandparent could open up the email, click on the link, and that it would just play for them? I suppose that's probably the best advice I could give. 
That's really interesting because I would have just assumed that, and I think like an awful lot of people, that CDs were a dead technology. Like I, I know that vinyl has made a, a, a massive comeback and like I buy new vinyls all the time, but literally just for the sake of like, like the last vinyls I bought were like a couple of old Kiss albums from the 80s just because I love holding that stuff and like I have all the old Nintendos and I just love old shit like that. Um, so I'm delighted that vinyls have come back, but I, I genuinely would have thought that CDs were a dead technology. And that's a really, really good point is that you have to make it as easy and, ex- and as accessible as possible for the radio station to actually play this for you. Because like you say, if, if someone has their, their hard drive clogged up with all this, like, I'm not going to say shite, but all this other, uh, all the, the 10,000 other Colin Gavins that are sending in their single, you have to make it as, as, as accessible for them as possible and, 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 and as l- the least amount of friction and, and restriction to actually getting your thing, your thing played. So is that like a kind of a a deal breaker then, say that you it's best to have it on a CD? No, I, I don't think so. But I what I would say to anybody who plays anything other than contemporary top 20 pop music is find programs on radio stations like the equivalent to Ronan Collins in Mayo or Cork or Waterford or Glasgow or Aberdeen because... If, like, a, a lot of my stuff is very similar to the Randy Newmans, to the Jim Croce's of the world. If that's the stuff you play, those guys who've been playing records for 40, 50 years will latch onto it, will probably enjoy it more than the other contemporary thing that they've got sent in. And those guys have listeners who buy records and who still go out to gigs and they love to hear of new artists. Who, so rather than saying, I, I want to get played on RTE, I want to be on the recommended, that's brilliant. And, and like, Huge kudos if you do that. But there are yeah. programs on smaller radio stations that have large listenerships that have been listening for 20 and 30 years and are only delighted to find out that there's a Barry Carroll who's playing music similar to what they grew up on or what they've been listening to, to the, for the past 40 years. And if you want people to go to your shows and to buy your records, you have to try and reach people who listen to things that are similar to what you do. And your chances up by about 100% rather than just say, Send it out to all the big radio stations. Have your download zip file, all this sort of stuff, your EPK. All of those things are important. But remember at the end of the day that if you want patrons, if you want people who enjoy what you do and want to go to your shows, if you're similar, and that's why it's good to know if you're similar to certain artists, nudge yeah. it in that direction. And, and then your, your likelihood of actually finding your audience will up hugely rather than get to 38 and say, it never worked out for me and that's just circumstance. You have an audience regardless of what kind of music that you play. And the quest that you should be on is to navigate yourself in the direction of those similar to you. Because it, it helps for people to compartmentalize. Your audience exists, you just haven't found it yet, if you feel that that's the case. You've blown my mind. You've absolutely blown my mind because it's what, what, what you're saying is so, like, it's not, and, 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 and don't take this in, in the wrong way, it's not rocket science. It's purely logical. Just regard, it's, it's like, and, and what you've said, you, your audience does exist. You just haven't found it. That's so that that that's that's so universally applicable to so many different things. Um, yeah, it, you know, do you know what I mean? It's 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 sometimes the most mind blowing things are just the the simplest things. Watching Stranger Things, Occam's Razor. The simplest explanation is more is usually the most obvious, or something like that. Um, yeah, brilliant. You say you don't have a PR head on you, but I tell you, you're you're. 
I don't know if I believe you or not. Now, to be perfectly honest, You're, you, you seem to be doing a good enough job um, so far. Um, so you went. When, when did you first go over to? When did you first go over to the states? So, the, the first proper string of gigs that I did have kind of only happened in the last few years. So back in in I, I did my first performance in New York at Christmas time, and that was on that was on, oddly enough it was on Broadway. It was in a jazz club called Birdland, and Birdland for for those who wouldn't be familiar would have Miles Davis, Count Basie. Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald would have all played here. And I was just fortunate yeah. that two two pals of mine, Jim Caruso and Billy Stritch, and, and Billy Stritch, some of your listeners will know, he was the pianist for Frank Sinatra and for Liza Minnelli. They they had a show on a Monday called Cast Party. And it was sort of like, and this was close to Christmas time. So it's very much like a wrap up of, of the year's proceedings. And they invited me down to perform and, and Birdland would hold maybe 300 to 400. That was the first show that I did in New York. But since then, I did a couple of shows in Massachusetts around May into June of this year. And there's not, you find, Barry, that there's not a whole lot of difference between international audiences. People who are interested in music are interested in music, period. There's this attitude today, like people don't support live music. They absolutely do. One, you need to make them aware of where it's happening. And two, you can't be insulted if it's not their cup of tea. Like some people hate Italian food. Some people can't eat Indian. That doesn't mean it's not delicious. But you need to get the attention of those people who love Indian food or love Mexican and have stomachs that can absorb it and will be only delighted to bring more friends the next time. So like whether that's going to happen in Tucson, Arizona, or it's going to happen in Dublin, there's no difference. It's just about making people aware and making it as accessible as possible for people who would who would like to go to the shows. Amazing. So you're 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 taking your show to the states. How does one go about doing that? Like, did you organise it yourself? Did you have a promoter? Did, was it through PO? What was the crack? Well, in in those instances, I was working with a promoter in the states, and that makes life an awful lot easier because there's lots of there's ins and outs that are way more complicated than I can comprehend. Yeah. But. But no, and, and, and again, for anybody who, who is starting out and, and people see these things as being very glamorous, the answer isn't in one thing. It's not, oh, God, you know, playing America, like that's, that's the definition of making it. The definition of making it is being able to put on a show that you can put more than 25 people or 25 bums in seats. That's the yeah. accomplished show. You, you set a door fee, you, you're playing a show wherever. If people want to come and see, somebody said to me one time, the best marker for success is when you stare into the audience and you don't know any of the faces. That's that's the best marker. Brilliant. That's that that's uh, it's, it's it's properly profound that. Um, and I suppose you're right. I suppose you are. You're absolutely right. It must be. Uh, I've never had it myself because I don't write songs. I just play wagon wheel and Wonderwall ten times a night. And Galway Girl uh, about seven or eight times a night at least. And uh, I yeah. So. The, the, the people that are coming to see me, they're not coming to see me at all. They're just coming to have a pint and to get stupid to those songs. But it must be uh, an amazing feeling when you don't recognize anybody and they've paid actual money to come and hear what you have to say for yourself. Barry, from very early on, I, I, my goal was never to play the three arena. I was, I'm a meat and potatoes guy. Like the, the guys I love, like Randy Newman, Dean Friedman, who I actually got to tour with earlier in the year on his Irish dates, these guys were playing. They were, for me, it, it was just as much of an accomplishment to play to a room of 160 people or 200 people as it would be 
to because what I do isn't music that you get up and dance to. It's not music that would be appropriate to to play. It's like it's not. I don't play contemporary pop music, and that's not me knocking contemporary pop music, but because uh-huh. there's a time and a place for everything, and like where it wouldn't make sense for a contemporary pop artist to be playing in a jazz club. The same is true, vice versa. So for me, the goal was always just to get to the point where if you put on a show in Whelan's or the Workman's Club, or if you do a show in City Winery in Boston, that you have enough gravitas or you've you've put yourself out there enough that people will be like, oh, I'd really like to go to that. Or, oh, I've heard of this guy. Let's go and, and, and let's buy tickets. That for me was was the reward. And if that, if I can grow that in any way or, or to continue to grow it, brilliant. But, but I think today, especially with young artists, they set the bar so high. It's like, oh, you know, I want to play the three arena by the time I'm 25 and then they don't and they get completely jaded and burnt out. And it's just another conversation over around the points where you say, you know, I got this close one time to play in an opening slot for Ed Sheeran. And don't like, that's not the be all yeah. and end all. Cause I know people who've opened for Ed Sheeran who you couldn't pick out of a lineup now. There's no one thing yeah. that solidifies you. You like you you you're a credit to yourself with the success that your podcast has achieved already, and that's a testament to you. Because when people listen to your podcast, it's 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 not the podcast format that they're buying into. They're buying into you because you're engaging and you're entertaining and you're funny and you you're able to you can put a proper conversation structure together. And so people need to understand that it's you that's the selling point. Pete Townsend was was as interesting and people put posters on the walls of him because he was Pete Townsend, not because he was doing the best possible impression of Jimi Hendrix. And that's why yeah. they liked him. That, you know, so what sells is the individual. And if you can if you can just turn the volume up on your personality, there will be people that won't like it, but the right people will. And they're the ones that are going to come to your concerts and they're the ones that are going to buy CDs and tell their friends about it. And that's what's going to put you on a platform, regardless if that's on a Vicar Street level, on a three arena level, but it's what's going to be, it's going to bring you to the point where that's who you are. And and I think social media has been a great window into that because now more than ever, what you couldn't do in 1966 is you can actually see into the person's world through social media. So that's a gift. And I think there's more positives than negatives if you can just push the negatives to one side. Brilliant. Thank you very much uh, for uh, saying that. I, I, I do appreciate it. Yeah, again, you're you're just sort of proving yourself wrong that you don't really, that you do really have a PR head. You really do seem to have a good grasp of how uh, this works. Um, I should I should have came to you for some business coaching than going, uh, <laughs> than going elsewhere. But uh, th- thank you very much. I do appreciate that. Um, and I think you are, you are right. Um, you definitely are right. It, it is the person and... It is like, like 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 what you're saying that you, you don't just put all your eggs into the basket of I want to play the tree arena because I've said this on on previous episodes that I think I've said it on pretty much every episode in fact so people are going to be sick to death of me saying this but uh, like when I was when I was a kid Barry what do you want to be when you grow up I want to be a rock star right okay and if that doesn't work out I was like no no I want to be a rock star because like you say back in 1996 or when we were growing up things like podcasts and things like um the, the the youtubers and all this kind of stuff it didn't exist it didn't exist back then so your only sort of way of processing what you want to be when you grow up is like i want to be a rock star i want to be playing on stages all around the world because that's what you thought that a musician was but 
now it just shows you that like in in, in your instance your tree arena could very well have been that three or four hundred seater uh birdland in new york do you know what i mean and that's your that's your version of the tree arena because it might not be appropriate for someone do, doing what you do to play in the tree arena, same as it wouldn't be um, appropriate for Def Leppard to go and play in 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 Birdland. Um, so it is it, it is all about like putting putting your expectations into perspective, um, and I think nowadays it's far easier to actually do that. Does that make sense? Now, in saying all of that. If Bob Dylan wants me to support him in the three arena in two weeks' time, I have no problem doing that. I'm not, you know, I'm not. This is not a hill I'm willing to die on. I'm just saying this for yeah. context, so, you know. No, 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 Bob. No, no, no. You're grand. No, I'm all right. No, I'm, I'm going to go for a pint down in, in Wheelands instead. No, come on, you'll join me for one after, will you? Um, yeah. No, fair enough. Well, look, Bob, if you're listening, Colin, he's Colin's a decent lad. Decent lad knows how to tune his guitar from a piano. It's amazing. Right, so you've 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 sort of name dropped and brought up a couple of different uh, venues that you've well name dropped. You know, you know what I mean. You, you've brought up uh, a couple of different venues that you've played in uh, over the years, and, and and more recently in America and stuff. Have you got any? Um, I don't know any interesting stories from somewhere that you you particularly liked playing, or what was your favorite place to play? Oh, it's it, it's tricky. But one of those gigs that was kind of a landmark one was I. The first time I played Vicker Street was in 2017. And for a lot of Irish artists, that's one of... I used to think of it when I was a teenager as like, there's Vicker Street, the Olympia, the RDS, the Three Arena. You know what I mean? There's the big yeah, yeah. venues. And yeah. if when you're side stage or backstage in, in Vicker Street, they have pictures of old posters on the walls. And talking about Bob Dylan, there was like Neil Young's poster, Bob Dylan's poster, uh, Randy Newman's poster. And I'm, I'm big into like the energy of a place. And I'm, I, I remember taking time before the doors opened just to walk across and think Bob Dylan walked across this stage. Randy Newman walked across this stage. Neil Young walked across this stage. And you can go on and on and on and on and on. And yeah. I always feel like in the great venues in the world, the remnants of those people are left kind of in the ether. You know, there's atomic particles left of them and you're breathing all that. Good in vibes. And good vibes. And, 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 one of the things, I'm going slightly off topic here, Barry, but when I, because I, we talked about this a long time ago, I remember being at a convention with you in the RDS and we saw Aslan, um, it was 2011 or 12, it was 11 years ago. I remember ago. it well, I, I, I met Michael D. Higgins at it. <laughs> did I you? totally oh. forgot that, yeah, I did, I did, myself <laughs> and my brother were there, I think, did I meet, I think it was over, it was a, it was a two day thing and I think I was, I happened to be there were you the first day? And then the second day, I went and brought my brother back. And like, I'm six foot one, and my brother is at least six foot one, but he's, he's, he's a good bit broader than me. And at this stage, he was only he was only 16 or something, and he was, or he could have even been about 14, 15. He was still tall. And the first thing my bro <laughs> brother said when, when we saw Michael D. Higgins and we met him, he was like, Jeez, he's very small. She's very, very small. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I totally forgot that that had ever happened totally forgot anyway sorry please please continue no you you at the time had just cut your hair yeah. i remember that you had had long hair up until that point and you would just like not that long you would just cut it no yeah so if that it if was that, actually do you know what do you know do you know what it was this day 11 years ago that i cut my hair it was the 19th of october <laughs> are you sure 
hundred percent. Wow. You don't forget something as serious as that. <laughs> no, I suppose. But I remember someone had a photo, like a really nice printed photograph of you performing on it to be the Button Factory now, but it was like the Temple Bar Music Center stage. It was a great photo. Like you were in full shred mode, and I remember somebody carrying yeah. that photo around, and and you, yeah, you hadn't long cut your hair anyway. But we at that day we kind of I remember we ended up in Griffith College sitting on a, the benches drinking cans of Royal Dutch, which was the cheap beer at the time, or Ludger's Gold that Spar used to make. So this is a bit of a throw yes. for you. Unreal. But, That's a right throw. I remember that day. I remember that day very, very well. But that day, which you probably don't remember, we had a discussion about the kinds of musicians who, you know when a band is doing well on a circuit and you'd meet them and you'd say, oh man, congratulations. And you get this kind of response of, yeah, man just a small matter of a world tour, press releases. And they make those things sound really unobtainable. Like you kind of have to be yeah. touched on the shoulder by God for that to happen. One of my life's goals is to, is to give a little bit of transparency that if somebody comes to me and says, how did you do that? That I won't BS them and say, oh, you know yourself, man, they just got in touch and like, oh, life is so great at the moment. I'll be honest with you and say, I did this, 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 and this. And then this might yeah. happen. But if that happens, do this. Because it's not magic. It's not hocus pocus. And all of those guys who were defensive of their spot were only defensive because they knew at any minute the rub was going to be pulled from under them. And in 10 years that have passed, Barry, it's probably happened one after the other after the other that the mystique wore off and you realised that, you know, the trick in um, the movie Almost Famous, there's a great scene where he has a lighter in one hand and a closed hand yeah. in the other. And he says, which one do you want? And he they point to the other hand he says as long as you don't know what's in this hand it'll always seem more appealing and i think that's the idea with these guys who try and sell mystique is there's it's it's hocus pocus there's nothing there's nothing beyond it and it's just a trick yeah. and people who are defensive of their spot and that old school thing of like don't give away too much to younger artists because listen the method that you made it is going to be the same well, not the same but the path is pretty much the same so if you're afraid yeah. to tell somebody else or to give advice or to lend a hand or whatever, then you think that somebody is more capable than you are and you just don't want to help them out because you don't want to see them succeed. And that's BS because there's room for everybody. And if you can yeah. lend a hand and say, listen, you'll make life an awful lot easier for yourself if you do this. And you don't need to be arrogant about it, but just say, if, if somebody came yeah. up to me and said, well, how, how do you get a CD printed? How, do you get, how would you go about getting signed? Is it worth getting an agent? Is it worth doing this? And just tell them. And don't be like, oh, you know, yeah. man, the phone just rang one day and they were like, oh, we want to sign. Because life doesn't work. It never works like that. Unless no, you're doesn't. maybe second generation or whatever. But um, but that yeah. would be, we, we talked about that then. And um, I think we're, we're kind of unpacking a lot of stuff now. But that's probably, that's one thing that I, I, I would hope for, that with platforms like podcasts, we can get a little bit closer to the point where this information is more readily accessible because when me and you were kicking around in our teens, it absolutely wasn't. And it all kind of seemed like a bit of a mystery and veiled behind certain yeah. things and stuff. So it's, I think what you're doing is great. Well, thanks very much. I, I, I do appreciate it. Um, and you're, you're, you're so right in that I've, I'll, I'll not mention who, but for to try and get guests for this podcast. So for anyone listening now and it, for anybody listening now uh it is wednesday the 19th of october 2022 if you're listening to this in two years time uh the podcast this is going to be about podcast episode eight or nine 
approximately when it, when, 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 it, when it comes out. And the podcast, as of now, was only released, only officially launched, actually only about 10 days ago, come to think of it. And uh, in order to, 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 to build up the, the sort of the following, I just sort of went out on, on a limb and got on to... The, the criteria was basically people that I admire in, in music. And like what Colin's saying, or like what you're saying, lad, sorry, I'm talking to the, 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 the person listening now, but I should be talking to, but like, like what you're saying, in order, like, how, how do I even put this? I literally just like texted the, or sent a Facebook message to like Rockstars' Facebook pages. And you're amazed when they actually reply to you. I actually had some replies from some of my absolute all-time heroes, like all-time heroes. Um, and one of them I've been trying to pin down to actually get on the podcast. And I'm hoping, I'm still hoping that that they will come on. But it's 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 so weird that like the phone doesn't just ring and you're like, oh, well, do you want to be in a band? That doesn't happen. Everybody has to graft. Everybody, like you could be Colin Gavin or Bono. You still have to have a Facebook page. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You still have to have a Facebook page. You still have to have a social media presence. The same as the same as, as, as any of us. They, they still have their own personal Facebook page. They still have such thing as, as, as a phone number and they, they still pay a phone contract. So like, they are exactly the same as you. And, they, and it's, um, yeah, I'm rambling on here now, but it's, it, that, that just struck a chord with me um, that it doesn't just happen for you overnight. You do have to, have to graft. And sometimes it is just a matter of asking the question and asking for help and and, and getting the, the the right people to keep keep you steering in the right direction. You're you're right, and and I think what a lot of bands pilfer is this Homer Simpson idea of if anybody asks, we were at the flower shop. You know that you you shouldn't <laughs> yeah. you you don't want to give the game away too much because effectively what they're afraid of is that somebody's going to seal their spot. Like if we, if we make it known that it's this, not that it's this easy, but that this is the pathway towards like, here's how you approach management. Here's how you approach a PR agency. This is how much it costs to get something pressed. There are a lot of acts yeah. that they just seem to come out of nowhere. And you think, how did that happen? Why did that happen so quickly for them? And what you don't know is they've had five different stage names. This is the fifth time that they're trying at going about a career and on the tail end of the fourth stage name, they found a good agent, they rebranded themselves, and they put six grand of their own money behind them to be put in every newspaper and on every television program, and you think it just happened out of the blue. And I would prefer if there was a little bit more transparency. I'm not saying people need to come out and say, this is from A to B, but there are artists yeah. right now who are banging their heads against the wall and have no idea how to get their music onto just in front of the right people. I hate this idea of a, a wider platform or any of that kind of stuff, but just in front of the right people. Yeah, I know it's, it, it, it is a shame. And that's kind of the, 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 the aim with this podcast is to maybe hopefully give someone that this is day one of how to be a musician. This is, if, if you want to, like I, 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 I don't know. Someone's gonna have to sit down with a pen and paper, and or well, it's probably not a pen and paper anymore. But you know what I mean. They're gonna have to sit down and think. Right, okay. Colin got here. This fella started there. What? Who does that? That. Do you know what I mean? But uh, I'm hoping that that will 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 bridge the gap by talking to people that have have made a success and showing them how not how easy, but how achievable it is if you just do the right things and find out what those right things are. Um, speaking of keeping you on the right direction and keeping you on, on the right path. What's it like working with Bjo? 
HBO are are brilliant, but but for reasons that you wouldn't think. So I love the idea of a cottage industry, and I love the idea of a record label who use their. It, it's not just like an office with the name of the label over the door. Tim working with Tim. What's brilliant about Tim is I would come with an idea and say I'm going to make this kind of record, and sometimes. In a lot of cases, Barry, it's not what he says, it's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, yeah. well, where is the single? He doesn't say, that song's too long. He just goes, there's a trust there that's never discussed. And it's like any good relationship. If I have to keep asking you, where are you going? Who are you with? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. then it doesn't work. We, Everything we do is based on trust. So if I say to Tim, I have this idea for a single, he may not even have the time to sit down and listen to it, but he'll put all the wheels in motion to get it to the distributor, to make sure that it's released on time. And there's never a thing of, right, the goal is we want to get to this number in the chair. That's never talked about. Are you yeah. happy with the song? Yes. Did you enjoy working with the producer? Yes. Are you ticking all the boxes for yourself? Well, great. Well, then, okay, pick a date and let's put it out. And that's that's effectively how it works. And if he has a contact that he can share with me, if he thinks there is a television or a radio program that would be good to get in touch with or whatever, he does. And and if I wanted to go and work with an agency to help promote it, he's happy to help in any way, shape, or form. And there's in in an age where people are trying to discourage against record labels, I couldn't big them up any more than that. So just to 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 give a bit of context there, that's a uh, Bio Records, uh, started by Tim Jarvis, who you may know the name uh, Jarvis from episode number one. Uh, I had uh, one of my best mates, Ashling, that is her father, and she's also signed to um, Bio Records. Uh, they're based in Donegal now, though, aren't they? I think so, yeah. There's been a bit of relocation in the last two years or so, but, but even still, a lot of what we do is very remote. Like for my last record, the 1992 tapes, I didn't see Tim at any point before that was put out, we were just talking over the phone and I'd send him the master tracks and that, that kind of thing. So again, it's very informal. So yeah. we, like, and that was always the case with if I was putting out a single or if I was putting out uh, a record. With the first album, there was a, we had a lot of meetings over in the house in Dunleary and stuff like that. But when it's not necessary, when it's just a question of putting music out somewhere, then there, you know, Tim is always great to just for a quick chin wag and then, what are we gonna do? How yeah. are we gonna do it? Yeah. I've I've shared Manny's uh Manny's a glass of red wine. It was him that actually got got me into uh red wine. Uh so no better man. Yeah, um yeah, what a man, no better man is right. Um so for anyone starting out now, I know you're saying about like getting your, your stuff recorded, getting it packaged up and sent off and all of that. What what do you need to do to start that? Is it a simple just record it on your phone? And that'll do to get you going, or what? 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 What does someone listening here now? So, say a sixteen-year-old John is listening, and he's got a really good idea for a song, and he thinks it's going to be really, really good, and it's a great country song. So he's going to get onto, he's going to use the advice that he's he's picked up from from this. He's going to get onto some radios in Nashville, for example, just off the top of my head. Um, how does he go about actually getting his music recorded and out to that that record? or that, that radio station? Well, there's a few steps that come in before that. So it, it's good to identify, like if you want to be the kind of, okay, say for example, you want to be a jazz singer-songwriter, which is kind of like a very abbreviated version of, of what I do. That's the best yeah. way of explaining it. 
One, it starts with quality. So if you have no musical education, like for example, Barry, if you had to go in for heart surgery tomorrow and there were two doctors put in front of you, one who studied for 15 years, knows it inside and out, has done a million procedures like this, or this guy who taught himself out of a book but has really good intentions and, and you know wants you to go with him, who are you going to pick? And I know, I know it's slightly different with music, but the, the thing is, your people are putting trust in you. When, when someone pays money to go to a concert... They want to come away entertained. They're not do like they're not supporting your better interests to be kind people. There's many things you can do on a Saturday night. And if one of those things happens to be going and seeing you, people work hard for their money. And if they're gonna spend 10, 15, 20 quid on going to your gig, you better deliver. And it's mm. like saying if you order a takeaway and they arrive to the door with cutlery from their own house and say, I'll call back in 25 minutes and pick that back up off you. You might say it was one of the nicest meals you ever had, but if it was a bloody ordeal and you had, you know, oh, we better leave these on the porch so the man could come and pick them up. You, yeah. you need to make your product. And that's what it is, unfortunately. I hate saying that, but if people are paying for something, then it is a product. So yeah, you absolutely. need to be well-versed in your instrument. You need your, your you need a, I think, honestly, I think you need about eight to 10 years to really develop your songwriting skills. When you get to that point, you need to identify who, if you had to put me in a group, who would I fit in with? Like, am I a Bob Dylan type songwriter? Am I a Leonard Cohen? Like, can you put me sidelong to somebody? And if you're fortunate enough that that person is alive, say it's Declan O'Rourke, say you're a songwriter like Declan O'Rourke, get in touch with Declan. Mm -hmm. Say, listen, Declan, I'm, I'm an up-and-coming songwriter. Um, here's some of my stuff. If you ever had a support act slot that you need to fill, I'd be more than happy to do it you may hear nothing follow artists of a similar vein to what you do and and social media has made that so easy mm. and put put yourself in front of an audience who are already interested in that type of thing the restaurant comparison is the best i can give you so if you are someone who you you make mexican food you make indian food whatever you want to find people who love that kind of food and it's the same thing with music and so find radio programs that are Maybe easy listening is where you fit in. Maybe it's rock and roll. Maybe it's blues or reggae. Find stations that have avid listeners that love that kind of music and try and get yourself, because it's easier to get on a program like that than it is to get on Ryan Turberty's morning program. I mean, he's going to play two to three pieces of music over the course of his program, period. So yeah. there are radio stations still that have avid listeners like that and who, like I said, are only delighted to find out about new artists who play music similar to yeah. what they like. And then from there, have a good social media somewhere that when people visit, it's not two or three pictures and, and a video. Get, let them see a little bit of your personality. You did a great thing on St. Patrick's Day and you kind of put it on your um, your collective stories where people can watch it back that you documented the whole day. And you started off with the yeah. Dubliners and you talked about, you know, being the Irishman who, who pined for home. Like that was a brilliant insight into your character, and I and that's what people fall in love with. They fall in love with the character more than anything else. Bob Dylan sidelong to selling records was making a mint for Ray Ban and Winston cigarettes because every photo you saw him in, that's what he was doing. So, but yeah, it was yeah. it wasn't because people who love Ray Bans were like, where can I find somebody who just wears a pair of Wayfarers better than anybody else? That was just consequent <laughs> because they loved the character. He was he was like an actor. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Am I making sense? Yeah. I, you are making a hundred percent sense, and then so once once all those kind of steps 
are well not those steps are taken care of are they ever really taken care of but like how does like how do you record your demos do you go to a studio do you do it yourself do you, what do you do oh demos i just do on the phone so i i just voice memos once i have the germ of a song together i'll go through about three or four phases of it and then I'll make up my mind on what kind of arrangement I want. And then when it comes to going into the studio, I know beforehand. So I might require a flautist or a cellist or, you know, an extra piano player, a saxophone player, whatever it might be. And then if you can find a producer who maybe has, if you're open to production ideas, you might find a producer who hears something else in your music and can help Mm -hmm. to draw it out. But then you may be very specific in what you want. So you, I am always open to, producer interpretation i'm not very specific about what i want so it, it can depend studios can be expensive um quality is important because a lot of radio stations just won't play something unless it has a certain veneer to it um yeah and that that goes for anything whether you're in a blues band whether you're making pop music or whatever um if you're going to be a pop artist it helps to have some characteristics that are similar to what's already in the charts and that's why people uh-huh. say pop music all sounds the same and again, I hate knocking it because there's people who love it. And if you do, brilliant. But you just need to know it's like if you're, it's like any line of work. And within the music industry, there's all different kinds. If you're going to be a bricklayer, you need your hard hat, you need your high vis. All of, exactly. you know, and, and yeah. if you want, you know, if you want to be a doctor, you need a different set of skills. It's 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 all different occupations, but you just need to know what what the requirements are for you if that's what you want to be. Yeah. Absolutely, um, I think that's that that's answered that um, perfectly. Um, so fair play to you. It's, it it is that one thing that like we used to do when we, we were in Spain. We used to do the uh, the four chord song, and it's just a one five six four. That's it. Pick a key, and and away you go. One five six four, and um, you can do all these. You can do oh, just we've done hundreds and hundreds of songs, one one after the other, and it's like it's like you're saying a bricklayer still needs a hard hat, regardless of whether he's building a swimming pool or a mansion. Do you know what I mean? It's it's exactly. it's it's the tools that it's the tools of the trade, um, but yeah, um, cool. So, is there anything that you're working on just now? Anything coming up? I know you said you had your your uh, Christmas song coming out. Uh, well, so, well, that that'll be for a couple of months now. But anything else you're working on in particular? Yeah, well, I, I I'm always doing shows, um, and now more so around the country than, than ever. I had a show a couple of weeks ago in Shannon and Clare, which was the first gig I'd done in Clare in a long time. And um, was delighted to meet people that came out who have um, have been keeping up to speed with what I've been doing on social media. And, and it, it it's funny, Barry, you know, you meet people. I met one particular gentleman. He says, for ages, I've been waiting to see when you'd be doing a show down this neck of the woods. And, and that's something that there's a lot of emphasis put on Dublin or Belfast as places to be because they're capital cities and there's a great music scene. Yeah. But if your music is getting played on, on national radio, like Ocean FM are very good to me and, and they play my music quite a bit. There's listenerships in different pockets of the country that are more than willing to... I, I met an artist recently, I won't mention their name, and they said to me, I actually hate doing gigs in Dublin because I never know if an audience is going to come. But if you're playing, say, in in Mallow, in Cork, or if you're playing in Galway City, there's maybe, there's more of an incentive for people to go because it's, there aren't as many options for interesting things to do of an evening. Uh, whereas in Dublin, like you could walk down Camden Street and find 15 different gigs going on in, in, in different parts. Yeah. So um, 
that uh, that's something like doing doing a lot more intimate shows outside the pale has been has been lovely, which I hope to do an awful lot more of as well. This weekend, I'm teaching a workshop masterclass in jazz piano in Oris Cronon. So I think there's, I don't know if your listeners, maybe this will air afterwards, but um, but that's something I'm hoping to do a lot more of as well. Um, I think there's about Very three good. or four spaces left for that. Uh, yeah, I'll have a headline Christmas show at some point. I think it'll be in the Workman's Club around the 22nd of December. So if people would like to come out to that, that would be very much appreciated. But the best thing to do, Barry, is really just check me out on, on Facebook and Instagram, Colin Gavin Music and Colin Gavin on Instagram. And there's always a plethora there's of always stuff on the go. weird and wonderful things that I'm, I'm up to. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Great. Well, I tell you what, let's let, let, let's finish it up here now with a, with a, with a quick fire round. Um, now, I, I realized that for the past few episodes, I've used the, the exact same uh, quick fire questions. So hopefully this has uh, freshened it up a bit. And um, it, funnily, funnily enough, one of the things that you've the, the, the very, very first question is uh, something that you mentioned at the very, very start of the recording. And I'm going to put you under pressure here now. Uh, usually the quick fire questions are literally just stupid questions that and most of them are but this one is is a little bit profound so the quick fire questions usually just stupid questions answered with the first question with the first answer you think of um but here we go right what is your job title oh told you i was going to put you under pressure with that one i i, I, Song, I, I, I think song songwriter. yeah that's probably yeah makes more sense yeah Okay, grand. <laughs> Just as, as, as I, I thought, you, 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 people won't see this on the podcast, obviously, because it's an audio medium, but there was a little kind of smirk came over your face and you reminded me of um, Tommy Tiernan in that. Um, in in that, uh, Did you ever see that Bradley Walsh yes. Uh, yes. program? Yeah. He's like, he had to answer wrong wrongly. He's That's like, right. Tom, what's your yeah. job title? Pigeon smotherer. <laughs> 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 I thought you were going to come out with, yeah. a, with a fantastic line like that, but no, you were you were far more grown up and dignified than that. So I'll, fair play. I'll just go okay. the honest route. Yeah, <laughs> honest route. Songwriter, mm. all around good egg, grand job. That'll do. What words do you find hard pronouncing? Oh, what word do I find hard pronouncing? Um, oh, you've got me. But to be fair, I'd, I'd imagine any word that you have just uh, you you struggle with pronouncing is probably not worth pronouncing for the rest of us, mere mortals. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no. Well, with, with spelling, like if when you say pneumonia, I never think of the P in pneumonia. Or Philippines, I would think um, F. You know what I mean? I understand. Yeah. And why yeah. would you? Because do you know what I mean? Why would you begin <laughs> Philippines with a P or pneumonia with a P? Like why? I know. Yeah. Things like Stupidity. that. Stupidity. Anyway. Anyway, right. What's your favorite word? <laughs> pneumonia. <laughs> <laughs> Laryngitis. Um, um, oh, serendipity. Oh, that's see, that's fun to hear and to say. Yeah, fantastic word, fantastic word, grand. Okay, what was your favorite subject in school? English. Oh, I like it. Very good. I was yeah. kind of no, I, 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 music wasn't necessarily my favorite one either. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, Disney character. What Disney character would you be if you had to be one of them? Or a cartoon character of some description. It doesn't have to be just Disney. It can be, I don't know, Looney Tunes or whatever. Well, funny because recently I, I got to pitch some songs to Disney. So I got to write in the guise of, of some Disney characters. So I, and Kermit, I, Kermit, yeah. Because he was the most fun to write for. Yeah. I tell you, 
you, you, you kept that one quiet, Disney. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing is, nothing may come of it, you know. So it was. I had the option. I had the opportunity to, to pitch a couple of songs to them, and in a lot of cases, there's a lot of red tape that comes with these things, and it, it's very yeah, like, yeah. oh yes, that's very nice, and blah blah blah. So. I don't like to be singing it from the rooftops either. But you no, know, because I made I actually made a video of the songs that I wrote for the characters and put it on Instagram. So if anybody wants to check that out, you can you can see. Amazing. Okay. Um, grand. What would your twelve-year-old self think of you? <laughs> you think? Well, I don't know. It depends what part of the story he's watching. Um, <laughs> I no, like I used to say that. I'm I'm do I do all this for the 15 year old me who wanted this more than anything and there like we talked earlier about that moment in Vicker Street where you you there's there's a weird juxtaposition between the person who begins with all the ambition in the world and it's all pie in the sky and it's kind of like everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die but then you say to yourself God wouldn't that be amazing I know that corresponding feeling being at a gig in Vicker Street and then playing Vicker Street and I know. Um, I've, I've been at gigs in the Borgosh and then did a show in the Borgosh and that's a weird feeling when that happens because yeah. you know the way there's always this part of yourself that thinks well it won't really happen but then it does and you're like wow yeah. that's kind of mad so I just when you were saying about the 12 year old perspective um, I, I try all the time to make that guy proud that's a really good way of putting it. Um, usually, these, I, I've, I've just as as you were answering that, I was I realised that these quick fire rounds are nowhere near as much crack as they usually are. But uh, I, I think they're quite fitting because they're they're. Uh, it's usually like stupid things like what would you spend loads of money on? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But these are actually uh, quite quite profound. And I'm quite I'm quite enjoying it. Um, and lastly, this is one that I ask everybody: um, What would you be doing if you weren't a musician? What would you be doing if you weren't singer songwriter Kermit the Frog? I, I've always been fascinated by the human condition, so I think psychiatry. If if I I like I, I got like nothing in my leaving cert point, so I never would have I never would have been able to apply for it. But I think in another life, if I had been more academically inclined, I think that would have been nice. Very good. For what it's worth, I got bang average the year that I done my leaving cert. Probably the same year that that uh, you did. I I think the average uh, points that year was three hundred and five, and that's what I got. So I was bang average. So for I anyone, got, uh, go on. I got 210. So way beneath you. Oh, lad. Yeah, but you were always, you, you were, you, 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 yeah, but ah, who cares? It doesn't matter. Look, <laughs> look at you now. Did, 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 did any one of them points stand you in any good stead? Probably no. not. No, not an ounce. No, and no. neither did mine. Neither did mine. And even since since we've done it, it's all changed. And you can get like 147 points now. And apparently 100, and I think that's quite a high. It's, it's, it's all changed. It's all changed and um, yeah, done absolutely nothing. But hey ho, listen, Colin. Before we finish up, I know you just gave a plug, but give one more plug as to where people can find you. Well, the the best place, Instagram and Facebook. They're they're the two that I use. So Colin Gavin on Instagram and Colin Gavin Music on Facebook. Uh, I have Twitter, but don't use it. I've actually been meaning to delete it just because I I've, I haven't been active on it for about four or five years. Um, but those yeah. are the two. Those are the two social media accounts that I use the most. And um, cool. And thank you, thank you so much for having me. Because this, like, I haven't got to talk to you at length like this, and I, 
nearly seven eight years. years. So this was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. It, it, it has been absolutely lovely. It's been absolutely fantastic. And one more thing that I just picked up on there, your your piano master classes, are they just exclusively going to be in person or can people access them online or is that, have you have you gotten that far? It's funny that it only last night it was it was mentioned to me what I think about doing them online. For the moment they're just in person. If there's only one booked for this weekend. Um, I'm doing a piano one and it's followed by John Spillan is doing a songwriting one. Um, that's this weekend in Oris Cronin and that's thanks to South Dublin County Council for, for making that happen. It, it is something that I may do more of because there's been a great response for, for attendance with this one. Um, and if it does happen again, the best place that you can be to find out about that is Colin Gavin on Instagram or Colin Gavin Music on, on Facebook. Fantastic, fantastic. And well, look, keep in touch about that. If that does happen, we'll, of, of course, give it a plug. Um, I'll update the, the podcast description with, with, with that. Um, and if anyone does want to get in touch uh, with, with Colm in, in regard to any of that stuff, your email address is? ColumnGavinOfficial at gmail.com. That's just because it's my Grand name. Job. So, just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, you know, you know yourself. As, as you said yourself, make it as easy as, as, as if your granny was trying to get in touch with you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I would get the fright of my life if I got an email from my granny. <laughs> Are you wearing a scarf? It's freezing outside. <laughs> Good man, Colin. We're going to we're going to leave it there, mate. Thank you very much for joining us, and everyone will see you in the next episode. Of the music that show. was the Music Career Show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about the Music Career Show.